the uh, most successful marketing slogan in history was? Coca-Cola. It's the real thing. That was before some of you were born. Um, But trust us, in 1969, that was their slogan, and it's the most successful one in history. But I I have to tell you this, too. Coca-Cola hasn't just found one slogan and stuck with it. I was on their website looking at all the slogans they've used. There's at least 46 slogans over the past 100 years, and not all of them were as successful as the 1969 slogan. 1987, when Coca-Cola is a part of your life, you can't beat the feeling. That's not bad. And I remember the can't beat the feeling. Again, that was before some of y'all, so never mind. 1985, America's real choice. Now, the interesting thing about this one in 1985, those of you who are around in 85, what came out in 1985 from Coca-Cola? New Coke. New Coke. Do we still have New Coke around? New Coke sucked. So it didn't last. That's really the funny thing about this slogan is America's real choice. Is, is classic Coke or is it real Coke? Evidently it was classic Coke because that's the one that has stuck around. 1939, this one, try to get this on a bottle. Whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of ice cold Coca-Cola. Now, if you think about this, who were they competing with? Dr. Pepper. And what was their slogan? Have a Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4. Do you all remember some of those old bottles? That's what it meant, 10, 2, and 4. You were supposed to break and have a Dr. Pepper. Well, Coke says, <laughs> whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of ice cold Coca-Cola. That just takes too long to say. That can't be successful. Then my favorite, this is my personal favorite, 1906. Coca-Cola, the great national temperance beverage. I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. New life. The temperance church. I don't know what that means, but that that didn't work so well. I think part of the reason that the real thing stuck with people is because there's a lot of stuff out there that's fake. Fake bills. You don't want fake money, right? Aren't you always a little bit nervous whenever you give, you know, a 20 or a 50 or maybe a $100 bill? I don't know what those look like. But when you go to Walmart and you give them and they bring out the pen, isn't there just a little bit of heartbeat thinking that bank is so going down if they gave me counterfeit money, you know, and then when they do it and it's good, you're like, yay, always, dude, I'm always concerned about that. And I, not that I deal with counterfeit, but I'm always worried that somebody's going to say, and then Palestine Herald Press, the one thing that I've ever, you know, been in the newspaper for will be that I tried to pass counterfeit bills at Walmart. Um, People are looking for the real thing. You don't like people to be fake. When, when you ask people about friends and, and about certain people, they don't like certain people because they're fake, because they're not real. And, and you ask most of you all about church. Almost everybody that's come to our church has said, somewhere in my past, I've been a part of a church that wasn't real, a church that was fake. And we've said from, from the beginning, we're, we're a real church. We're real people with real problems. But in the Bible, in Jesus Christ, you have real answers to those problems. So no place do I think there's been more counterfeits than when it comes to religion. And um, lots of people claim, like you saw in the video, that there are many roads that lead to God. You, you turn on any TV station and, and you watch some programs, you watch Oprah, you watch any of those feel-good stuff, and they'll tell you, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And, and you know, that, that makes as much sense as saying that every road leads to Dallas. 
Some of you have tried every road and you know it does not lead to Dallas or every road leads to, to Houston or every road leads to Tyler. If you've ever been on the wrong road thinking you were on the right road, you know that no matter how much you hope or wish or pray that you're on the right road, you end up at the wrong destination. Correct? So sincerely believing something doesn't make it true. So we got to figure out what is the right way. And Jesus, the founder of Christianity, says there's only one road, one highway to heaven. And it's Highway 146. John 14, 6 says, Jesus is the author. He says, I am the road, also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. No one gets to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. There is one road that leads to heaven. And, and here it is. There's, there's one way. Here's the sign. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the real thing, according to Jesus Christ, there is one way that leads to heaven. One road that leads to heaven. And of all the outrageous claims that Jesus made, and he made a bunch of them, this one statement has caused the most controversy you see, a lot of people believe, most folks believe that Jesus not only existed, but that he was born of a virgin. We're going to celebrate his birthday in just a couple of months, less than two months. We're going to celebrate that. And most people believe that Jesus came from heaven, that he was born of a virgin. Most people have no problem believing um, that he worked miracles like healing people and raising people from the dead and, and making bread that, that kept on producing until they fed 5,000 people and he kept uh, multiplying the fish. Until, most people believe that stuff. Why do you think that is? Most people believe there is a God. Most people believe the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. But... <laughs> Most people believe in everything in the Bible except this verse. If you go out and you start talking to people, this is where we lose them. Because according to Jesus, most people will not be in heaven. Most people will go to hell. And Jesus said there's a whole lot of roads. There's a whole lot of counterfeits that lead to hell. And most people are on those roads. So when Jesus narrowed all the options, and he says there's one way. And he excluded every other religion on the planet. That's when people started screaming, intolerant. And they look at Christians and they'll tolerate anything except Christians. And they'll say, how dare you judge me and my belief system? How dare you think that you're more important or that your way is better than my way? I just can't believe that there's only one way. I just can't believe that a loving God would send someone to hell. So here's the deal. Don't get mad at me because all I'm doing is I am repeating the words of our founder, Jesus Christ. Look it up. He said Highway 146 is the only road to heaven, the only road to God. So if you're going to get mad, get mad at Jesus. He built this road and he made it the ultimate freeway. And Highway 146 separates Christianity from every other belief system on the planet. But what about the Muslim who's sincere? What about the Jehovah's Witness who is sincere? What about the Mormon who is sincere? I'm just giving you logically. If there's one way that leads to God and it contradicts with every other belief system on the planet, where do their roads lead? Not to heaven, but to destruction, to hell. This is what Jesus said. See, the Bible is real clear on this. Look at Hebrews 9.27. People die once. And after that, they're judged. 
And some of you are going to say, well, what about those near-death experiences? There's, there's a key phrase in the near-death experience. That means near death. And, and there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of books out there. And, and I'm not even going to get into whether those I believe those or not. But when you really die and you're really dead, you do that one time. You don't reincarnate as a cow. You don't reincarnate as somebody nicer than you are now, better looking you know, than you are now. The Bible says you die and then you stand before a holy God and be judged. And the outcome of that judgment when you stand before God determines whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. Heaven is this cool place where God exists. It's perfect. There's peace. There's security. There's fulfillment. Hell, though, is not some place where you party. Hell is where God is not. So there's insecurity. There's pain. There's suffering. There's loneliness. And, and the thing is, each person will choose where they want to go. But the catch is you have to choose before you die. Once you die, God is going to carry out your choice for all of eternity. So if you spend your life avoiding God, telling God to kiss off, telling God that, that you don't want to follow Him, you want no part of His ways, then when you die, God's going to honor your choices for all of eternity. Because if you can't stand God when you're on this planet, why would you think you would want to be there after you die? God doesn't send someone to hell. People choose hell and you're like, oh, nobody choose hell. Well, they do every day. And according to Jesus, many people are on the road to hell. And in fact, some of us in this room are actually leading people to hell with the way we're living our lives. This is a huge deal. And God's final judgment is final. There are no appeals. It is right. It is fair. So if this is a big deal, we better figure out what is real and what is fake. So let's look at the three main counterfeits when it comes to religion. Number one is, counterfeit number one is the moral life. You've heard this one, right? We heard it on the video. If I'm good enough, then, then I hope I get to go to heaven. Or in America, we'd probably put if we're politically correct. That is the highest goal in life. And then we compare ourselves to others. We look around, well, I'm not so bad. And people always compare themselves to axe murderers and rapists and Osama bin Laden and terrorists. I'm not that bad. Well, yay. Nobody ever picks out the best Christians who ever lived and said, well, well, I'm better than Billy Graham. Surely I'm going to, I'm better than Mother Teresa. Nobody ever picks out Jesus and says, well, I'm better than Jesus. I deserve to get in. I, I don't harm people. I'm not a murderer. I'm not even a deer hunter who went out yesterday and killed Bambi's mother. We didn't kill his mother. Caleb killed his father. But, um, but that doesn't make him a bad guy, right? So he should still get to heaven even though he shot an eight point yesterday. I'm pretty good compared to others. But one of the problems with living a moral life is the standard is a moving target. Because what you may think is moral and what I may think is moral is two totally different things. What one part of America may think is moral and what another part may think is repugnant. Or what about countries? What is acceptable in the United States may not be acceptable in Haiti. For example, they dress better than we do to go to church. We had to dress up. We had to take nicer clothes to Haiti to go to church two weeks ago on Sunday morning than we do here. 
And if you were a woman and you weren't wearing a, a dress, you're not supposed to get up in front of people in church and give a testimony. And the men have to wear nice clothes because if you don't get up before God unless you're wearing nice things to give a testimony of what God's done in your life. So cultures have different standards. So morality can't be the target because it moves all over the place. Some of you remember when, when I Love Lucy, when, when she and Desi Arnaz Jr. slept in separate beds. They were married on the TV show, but they had twin beds in, the, in, their, li- in their master bedroom. And, and you're going, because they couldn't do the scandal of having people who weren't married living or, or sleeping in the same bed, even if it's for a TV show, standards change, morals change. So that can't be the way to get into heaven. Now, um, the biggest problem, though, is when you stand before a perfect God... Jesus Christ is going to be standing there beside him and, and, and God's going to say the comparison is to him. How do you stack up compared to him? And if you aren't as good as him, you don't get in. Now, how many of you watch the uh, World Series? Okay, you're like the only people, according to the Nielsen ratings, you're the only ones that watch the World Series because they said it's the lowest scores in history. Who cares? The Rangers were there. Now, it's ironic that back in May of this year, some of you were here, May of this year, and you remember I talked about the Rangers and I talked about their playoff futility, how they'd won one game in their whole history, never won a playoff series until the second round of the playoffs this year. They'd never even won a home game in the playoff series. And the Rangers go to the World Series beating the Yankees. And if you cannot win the World Series, beating the Yankees and keeping them from winning another one is just as good. Now, okay, in baseball, let's get back to the point. In baseball, what is considered a good batting average? 300. 300 is good. Do you know what Josh Hamilton batted this last year? 359 for the season. And we consider that excellent. So in Major League, the highest standard of baseball in America in the world If you get a hit 3.5 times on average out of 10, which means you fail six and a half times every 10 times you come to the plate, we say you're good. And and if you want to do that for 10 years, if you bat 350 for 10 years, you're a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, right? And then then you got, you know, in fielding, the fielding percentage, if you're, you know, above 98% in the field, we say, holy cow, you're a stud on defense. You're almost perfect. You're a stud. Now, what if I told you that the standards to get in the Hall of Fame, you had to play every game for 10 consecutive years, 1,620 games for 10 years. Now, Cal Ripken Jr. did that, okay, so he, he would qualify, except that you have to get a hit every time you come to bat. So if we just say, and and just for argument's sake, if we say you come to bat 3.5 times every baseball game, there's 162 in a season, that means for one year you have to get a hit. Every time you come up, that would be 567 hits in one season. All right? That's, That's pretty impressive because the record for hits in one season is 275. Or we say for your career, over the 10 years, you have to get those hits... Every time you come to the plate, so over a career, 10 years, 5,670 hits in order to qualify as the minimum standard to get in the Hall of Fame. You know what the record is for hits over a career? Pete Rose, 4,256 hits, and it took him more than 20 years to do that. 
And so we say that, that for you to make the Hall of Fame, you got to be perfect. No fielding errors ever. A hit every time you come to the plate for 10 years. And then you get removed from the Hall of Fame if after those 10 years you make one error or you miss one hit. And what would you say? He said, that's impossible. Nobody can do it. And I would say that's exactly the same mindset with the moral life. It is impossible to be good enough. If you've had one bad thought about somebody else in your life, you're disqualified from heaven. If you've said one thing to that incourteous driver who cut you off right after you were worshiping Jesus, you're disqualified. If you've ever huffed at the person in front of you at Walmart because they wrote a check and they didn't bother to start writing the check until after everything was counted. There was a lady this week. That's why I'm disqualified from heaven. Because I was huffing at her. <laughs> what? I didn't even... <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't Eula. If it had been Eula, I'd have just paid for her because that would have been quicker. But I huffed at the lady. So you understand, if you have one mistake ever, you're not good enough for heaven. So the moral life is impossible. And if the Bible is true, God's standard is perfection. Look what the Bible says, because this disqualifies us all. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. How many people? Are you everyone? Do you, do you fit in that category? Everybody that you'll see today when you leave this place, do they fit? In? Yeah, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So to get into heaven on your merits, you've got to be perfect. But the Bible says none of us are perfect. So what does that say about the moral life? If that's your plan, you should probably give it up because you're going to be sadly disappointed when you stand before God. So the first, first counterfeit is the moral life. Second counterfeit is the knowledgeable life. The knowledgeable life. If you know and believe the right things, you'll go to heaven. This could be called the Baptist life. If you attend enough sermons, if you go to enough seminars, if you go to enough Bible studies, if you learn enough about God, then you get in. All right? How many of you are Rangers fans? Not the closet fans. This, this is a constant theme, by the way. How many of you could tell me, those, those Ranger fans, how many of you could tell me the starting nine? I don't want you to do it, just to prove a point. But how many of you could tell me the starting nine in the last game they played in the World Series? Probably several of you could, nerds. But um, <laughs> we could sit and talk for hours about our Rangers and that they finally did something great. We could talk about Josh Hamilton. We could talk about Cliff Lee and how he's a, he's a free agent and he's like should be our number one priority. We could talk about all of that stuff. We could know Nolan Ryan. We could know all of his stats. I actually attended his seventh no-hitter way back in the day. We could know all kinds of things about the Rangers. But would that get us in the clubhouse? Could we show up and say, well, I'm a walking encyclopedia of ranger history. And what would the clubhouse dude say? Nerd, Nerd yeah. 
<laughs> there's a little cell in Arlington, you know, at the jailhouse that you could go visit, but you're not getting in here. Um, Caleb and I got to go and do a tour a couple of times. They used to do this. I don't know why they don't anymore. Maybe it's because they're good. Um, but used to, if you bought uh, group tickets, they would invite you to a thing and we would get to go up and eat and we'd get to go down and look at the clubhouse. We got to bat in the batting cages underneath um, and, and some of the pitchers would, would pitch to us and you know they would take it easy on you unless you started hitting and then they'd make you look stupid. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was hitting kind of hard off this one and it was Jeff. I can't remember. Anyway, I was, I was slapping the ball and sucker threw me a curve ball in the middle of batting practice. You know, anyway, um, I, I missed it badly. Uh, but they wouldn't let us go past the rope in the clubhouse. Even though we bought tickets and we were on this special tour, it was only retired guys and, and old guys that came to see us from the Rangers. None of the current Rangers came and checked us out. That's not fair. I'm a fan. Doesn't that make me a part of the team? No. Ninety percent of Americans know about God. They believe there is a God. But do you know how many people know about marriage in the United States? Almost all of them. You know how many people believe in marriage? Almost all of them. But does knowing about marriage and believing about marriage make you married? No. Oh, no. I'm in trouble. No. Almost 20 years ago, I chose Janie. I stood before God and my brother was the pastor and I said, I choose you. And she said, I choose you. And we made some promises to one another and we sealed it with with a ring. And we made a commitment to stay with each other from that day forward. That's how you get married. And it's no difference with with Christianity. You don't know about God and somehow that that brings you into the kingdom of God. You make a choice to accept God's free gift of Jesus. That's what puts you in the family of God. Not knowing, that's not good enough. Look at James 2.14. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this life if you learn all the right words but never do anything? By the way, he's expecting a no answer. Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Again, no. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's great. Demons do this, but what good does it do them? Or you may have heard the, the translation, demons believe in God, but there's, they shudder because God is so powerful. And it's still not going to get them in heaven. They believe. So believing is not enough. Knowing is not enough. That's counterfeit number two. Counterfeit number three is the religious life. If we go through the right motions, we'll be right with God. You got to go to enough services, but also do the thing. So this is kind of like a step above the moral life. Not only are you moral, but you're religious. And you do all of the symbols and you do them with gusto. How many of you have ever joined a health club? Wow, are you serious? That's it? How many of you have ever wanted to? Okay. When you join a health club, what is the goal? The goal is to look like this. Y'all had no idea that under these uh, Hawaiian shirts, I, I don't show it on purpose. Wes keeps showing it that you got to be real careful who you let back there on the computer. 
That's all right, because the goal is to look like that, not like this. Or like this. <laughs> that hair, man. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we can get off of that one. Now, do you get to look like that just by joining the YMCA and going and hanging out with the studs? They'll laugh at you, but you're not going to look like that. You don't, you don't get in shape by osmosis, you know, just by hanging out there. So joining the Y doesn't guarantee you'll get in shape. Neither can just joining a church and hanging out with Christians make you saved, get you into heaven. We practice baptism here. That's what our horse trough is over there. Baptism can't save you. Last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper. You can take the Lord's Supper and be going to hell. Those are merely symbols. This ring doesn't make me married. Anybody can go buy a ring and wear it on their ring finger. What, what is important is what goes behind that. It's a choice. It's a commitment. This is a symbol that I married. And I wear it all the time. And by the way, I didn't take it to Haiti. And, and Jenny said, I noticed you didn't have your ring on. What are you doing in Haiti? I'm like, yeah, looking for a wife. Um, <laughs> I gave it to Janie before I left. One of the things they said was don't wear any jewelry. So I gave it to her. And, and we always say to one another, if we're not going to wear the ring when we leave the house, hey, I'm not going to wear this today. And, and we said, that's cool. You know, most of the time, though, I would leave with that because I just want everyone to know that there is someone I've committed my life to, my other half. But it's a symbol that I'm married. That does not make me married. You commit to Christ before you're baptized. That's what makes baptism meaningful. You commit to Christ before you take the Lord's Supper. In fact, last week I said, if you're not a Christ follower, you're really not supposed to take the Lord's Supper. We're excluding you because you've got to be a part of God's family to take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of our church to do it. We believe all Christ followers can take the Lord's Supper, so we practice open communion. There's a lot of stupid arguments about that, but anyway, that's what we do here. So if you're a Christ follower, you're welcome to do it. But what makes it meaningful is that you are already in God's family before you take the Lord's Supper. Your commitments make it meaningful. Every person who's a member of New Life Community Church has gone through Class 101, Discovering Church Membership, and Discovering Class... Discovering church membership can't save you. We talk about how you can get saved, but it doesn't save you. So you could actually go through and sign the little commitment card and be a member of this church and wind up in hell because church membership doesn't save you. Um, going through experiencing God on Sunday nights, our, our 45, 50 people that are going through that on small groups on Sunday nights, experiencing God does not save you. Being in small groups does not save you. Going to celebrate recovery on Sunday night does not save you. Our students go to impact on Wednesday nights. Impact does not save you. Just attending can't save you. But let me say this. Baptism matters. The Lord's Supper matters. Membership matters. Small groups matter. Serving matters. But none of those things are actually your relationship with Christ. All of those things are merely symbols of a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you would like to retire someday? You'd like to have enough money in the bank that you could retire. Not only comfortably, man, you can have some fun. Okay, two people, me and Steve. Now, what if I were to show you a way that you could save a $1,000 bill every month for the next 50 years? Would you be interested? At the end of those 50 years, you would have 2,600 $1,000 bills 
Do the math. How much cash is that? $2.6 million. How many think you could, you could survive on that? Hang around after church. I'll show you how you can do that. No, I'm kidding. Because what if my scam was to tell you you could do that, but every $1,000 bill you put away was fake? What if this $2.6 million you thought was in the bank was gone like that because it was counterfeit? How would that make you feel? You'd want to kill me. But you'd also be mad at yourself, wouldn't you? You'd be devastated to suddenly find out that you've got nothing. It's exactly how people will feel when they stand before God and they say, well, I lived a moral life. I knew about God. I was religious. At that moment, God will say, it's not enough. Depart from me because I don't know who you are. Well, if those are counterfeits, what's the real deal? What's the real thing? It's the substitute life. God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus came in human form. He came to earth. He batted a thousand. For 33 years, he played error-free ball. And he offered himself as a substitute for you. That's the substitute life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your errors and mine. When he rose from the dead, he offered his life in exchange for yours as a, as a gift. But if you don't ever receive the gift, you're going to be sadly disappointed when you stand before God. Because I, I did some checking on this and I found out that the uh, mortality rate is one out of one. That means we're all going to die. And according to the Bible, after you die, you will face judgment. And just to be real clear on this, look at Romans 3, 23 through 25. Look what it says. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. If the Bible is right, if it's true, if Jesus Christ was right, when you die, you'll stand before God. And he just might say, I don't know this, the Bible doesn't tell us, but what if he were to say to you, why should I let you in? Are you really going to say I was good enough? I wasn't that bad, God. My good deeds outweighed my bad deeds. Come on, God, great on the curve. No. Are you really going to say, well, I knew about Jesus didn't bother to try, pattern my life after him, but I knew a lot about him. I went to church. I always used to ask when I was in youth ministry and the girl would say, I'm dating a new guy. My first question would be is, is he a Christian? Well, I don't know. Well, then you're stupid. You don't know. Well, he goes to church. You didn't answer my question. Is he a Christ follower? I don't know. Then you're stupid. <laughs> Bible's real clear on that. 
We're only supposed to date those who are Christ followers if we're a Christ follower. The Bible talks about being unequally yoked. That means a Christ follower and a non-Christ follower says, don't do it. The Bible is very clear on these things. So God's going to say, it doesn't matter how much you knew, you're not going to come into my heaven. Are you really going to say, I attended church? Because, dude, if, if church attendance, if the number of services you're supposed to go to qualifies you for heaven, we're all going to hell. Because we only come twice a week. Back in the Baptist life, I'd be there five or six times a week. Surely that qualified me for heaven. Just drove me nuts. So we have a simple structure here. And we say that you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get into heaven. We believe what Jesus said when he said he's the only road. And the choice you make before you die will determine whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And sadly, most people would rather go to hell than acknowledge that they're on the wrong road. The core of Christianity is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Islam rejects it. Jehovah's Witnesses reject it. Mormons reject it. Catholics accept it, but actually they add a whole lot more stuff that you're supposed to do in order to get into heaven. Someone is sincerely wrong. Actually, a whole bunch of people are wrong. A whole bunch of people are lying. And people are going to continue to say, well, Highway 146, that sure is narrow. Highway 146 is wide enough for the whole world, but you've got to choose to get on that road. God's not schizophrenic. He didn't come to one side of the planet and go, okay, Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. And then he didn't go to another side of the planet and say, hey, you can build your own road. Do whatever you want to, and we'll just make sure that it ends up in heaven. God doesn't act that way. Someone's telling the truth and someone's lying. And here's the quickest way to tell. If you're ever following a religious system, if you're ever studying a religious system, go to the founder. It's what I always do. I go back and I read about the founder. If the founder of a religion lies, cheats, steals, cheats on his wife, has multiple marriages, whatever. If, if the founder is like that, then I think you can be pretty sure that the religion is false. But if the founder of the religion batted a thousand if he was perfect, if he was God's son, if he died on the cross and raised again, never to die again, maybe you should put your trust in that one. Now, I mentioned this last week that, that um, a lot of times at funerals, I'll use the story of, of a guy who was a Muslim who converted to Christianity. This was in Africa. And he was asked, How would you make, why would you make such a radical choice? And he says, real simple. If you come to a fork in the road and you, you meet two guys there, one of them's dead and one's alive. Whose directions are you going to follow? Choose the live one. That's the only way to get to heaven. 